Today I'll be reading from the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 16, the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to speak today on the unshakable kingdom. The unshakable kingdom. This is a time of great change in our world. There's like tectonic plates which are shifting. Massive change is happening all over the place in different institutions and places and spaces. This is the only time that I'm aware of that a new prime minister has met a queen and then three days later the new prime minister has met the new king. It's happening all over the place. And that's a small transition in some respects, but in other respects, for most of human history, in most of the world, a transition like that would have been accompanied by massive turmoil, political instability, civil war, different factions rising. You know, here, we have a few people jumping a queue. You know, but it's, and everyone's stressed about it. How dare they? So we don't take for granted that actually there's been relative stability in a massive time of handover. But we also recognize that there is huge political instability in our nation and in the world. Global uncertainty. The geopolitical order in turmoil. Huge volatility in the markets. Huge volatility with asset prices and other things that affect people's everyday lives. It's a time of great change. Someone once said there are decades when nothing happens. And then there are weeks when decades happen. And this feels like one of those times. What does it mean at a time like this, when everything is shaking, to be citizens of an unshakable kingdom? Not to be buffeted around by the different events that pop up on our newsfeed, but to know as it says in Hebrews, we have been given a kingdom. We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This week I was thinking about what it means to be in an unshakable kingdom. And then we saw some friends earlier in the week. And they were talking to us about how significant they think it is for our church at the moment, the kingdom of God. And then the next day someone spoke to me and said, look, I, I just think it's significant that we focus on the kingdom of God. And then I was thinking about this, and then that evening someone wrote to me and said, I just have this vision with all the institutions destabilized that we need to remind ourselves that there's another layer, another sense in which in the midst of all the instability, God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is being established and is secure and is advancing. So what does it mean to be citizens of an unshakable kingdom in a time of great certainty? What will set us apart as the people of God? What will give us confidence in the king of the unshakable kingdom? Well, we're going to look at Jesus tonight and hear his last 
words almost to his disciples. Because at this time, we need Jesus. At this time, our world needs Jesus. At this time, our nation needs Jesus. At this time, our schools and our universities need Jesus. Our companies and our businesses need Jesus. Our hospitals and our startups need Jesus. This city needs Jesus. And the first thing we see here is that you can have confidence in King Jesus. In all the turmoil the disciples were facing, Jesus had been arrested, he'd been executed, they'd had the loss of their hero, and then they see the shock of his resurrection, him rising again. And yet, in spite of the joy of that, they're still being hunted and persecuted by religious authorities. It's a confusing time for them. And at that time, there were a number of different claims to power, a number of different claims to authority. Religious leaders who were very clear on who you should and should not worship, who you should and should not bow the knee to. King Herod, who was trying to build a power base for himself in Jerusalem. Caesar, the emperor. If you didn't say Caesar is king, you're at risk of your life. And in that context, the disciples here come to Jesus and they see him on this mountain and their response is to worship him. They'd known Jesus as a friend. They'd known him as a rabbi. They'd known him as a teacher, but now they see something entirely different about him. They see that he might be worthy of their worship. They see him as the king. There are times in our life, particularly when things are unstable, Maybe when things are being shaken in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in our relationships, when we need to remind ourselves again that we come to worship a king. I heard the story of uh, the great uh, master painter, Michelangelo, um, the Renaissance painter who you all know painted the Sistine Chapel. Beautiful, extraordinary work of art. Took him a long time to do it, took him quite a few years, a bit slow, but it was an amazing painting. And one of his contemporaries, Raphael, had asked him, said, look, just stop by my studio. Would you take a look at some of my work? You know, give me some feedback. And um, Raphael had painted, you know, a little picture of, uh, of Jesus. I'll try and do it justice. I'm just here. And, um, you know, just, you know, Jesus, I guess, has a head and he's got a body. That's about proportions, some legs. Some arms, maybe like a, some glory signs or something. Anyway, so, um, and as it happened, Michelangelo came by when Raphael wasn't there. And he kind of looked at this kind of picture of Jesus that Raphael painted. And he just whipped out a paintbrush and he wrote just one word right across it. put away his paintbrush, and walked off. I mean, feedback's a gift. (laughs) Amplius. Amplius. Greater. Larger. Bigger. So there's nothing wrong with your little Jesus, Raphael. It's sweet. But you've got to go bigger. If you're going to use your gift to communicate the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in the world and the difference that makes with people, if you're ever going to communicate that through the medium of the art, you're going to have to go larger. You're going to have to expand your thinking. You're going to have to extend your vision. You're going to have to go greater. Amplius. Greater. Sometimes we need our vision of who Jesus is just to be stretched, to be expanded, our eyes to be lifted. 
Jesus is a faithful friend. He's the most faithful friend you'll ever find on the face of the globe. He's not just your mate. Jesus cares about the details of your life with an extraordinary precision. He's not just a personal assistant. Jesus will comfort you in your darkest hour. He's not just a counsellor. Jesus is a king. He's the king. He's your king. And when the disciples see him as he really is, the risen Jesus, wearing the scars of his cross, they realize who he is. And their only response is to worship him in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the instability, not knowing what the next day will bring. They cannot but worship him in that moment. No questions now. No debates about proximity to him. Just worship. And one of my hopes, one of my prayers for us as a church in this year, whether you've been here for 10 years or 10 minutes, this is what we're going to be about, is that we might see Jesus afresh in all his glory. We might expand our vision of who he is and we might worship him with a worship of which he is worthy. It's one of our passions as a church. We want to invite people to encounter Jesus. But not Jesus as like a character in a fairy story. Not Jesus as like a teddy bear in your life. Not just Jesus as an exhibit in a museum. No, we want people to encounter the real Jesus. We want people to encounter King Jesus. We want to in- people to encounter Jesus who's not just a figurehead, not just a nice to have, but Jesus who rules and reigns in this universe and wants to be Lord of your life. We want to invite people to encounter Jesus. One of the absolute overwhelming joys of this last year has been to see so many people encounter Jesus. People in this room tonight who six months ago would have described themselves as atheists, not sure what they believe, encountering Jesus. One guy I met, 22 years old, walked into this church for the first time in January. He said, I'm an atheist, but I just thought I'd come along. He said, what's the harm? Three months later, he said, do you know what, Steve? I think I've met Jesus. A month after that, he said, do you think I could get baptised? I said, I think you can. So we baptised him. People encountering Jesus. Last week, I was scrolling through Instagram, which I do from time to time. And and as I was scrolling through Instagram, I came across this young woman, 19 years old, and she was talking about a church. And she was saying, you know, I just want to tell you why I enjoy going to this church I'm a student at Brooks, da 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 da. And then I realized she was talking about this church. I was like, why is she talking about? I was looking at it. She was saying, well, you know, I just want to say, I go to this church called St. Aldate's, and the reason I go there is because it's where I became a Christian last year. I was like, who? Where? When? I've never even seen her before. I was like, when did she become a Christian in this church? Last year. I try and keep a really careful track of all the people who become Christians because it really matters. It's one of my jobs. I didn't even know she'd become a Christian. I can't wait to meet her. Like, tell me the story. She said it was like, you know, I went to the shops last week and then I became a Christian. Because that's just what happens, isn't it? When you invite people to encounter Jesus. 
And when it happens, we want to cheer it. We want to declare it. We want to say, the king is on the march. The king is on the move. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And he's calling people to come to know him. It's not just students. People in their 20s and 30s. Families. More mature people as well. One of, one of the groups of people we've seen, lots of people come to faith over the last year is people who have left prison and people who are recovering from addiction. Some of my great friends I've made over the last 12 months here have been people who are still on a journey of recovering from addiction but have encountered the risen Jesus, have encountered the King Jesus. And one of the joys of my life is to stand at the back of church every now and again and to watch people worship. Worship the King. Because they know him. Because they've met him. And all they want to do is what the disciples wanted to do in this passage, which is to worship him. Because they're in the presence of the king. They've been invited into his cause of worship. And yes, the world might be complex. Yes, things are difficult. Yes, not everything's certain. Yes, there might still be challenges ahead. But they're not going to miss this chance to bring him praise. When you see Jesus as you really is, you realise he's the king. And that means when the world is shaking, you can have confidence in his rule and in his reign. We have confidence in King Jesus. But secondly, we are commissioned by King Jesus. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations. Means that as you go, as you go about your daily lives, as you go about your jobs, wherever you've been positioned, make disciples. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth It's a lot of authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. It's difficult sometimes to talk about authority in our culture at the moment because so often authority has been misused or abused and so we're just suspicious of it. We're wary of it. But there are different kinds of authority. Winston Churchill wrote to his wife, uh, Clemmie, in 1928. He said, I've just met the young princess Elizabeth. She's two years old, but she's a character. She has a remarkable air of authority for one so young. You think, can a two-year-old have authority? Yeah, she was a princess, but no one knew she might be queen. I've raised four toddlers. Yes, a two-year-old can have Authority, lots of authority. It's a different kind of authority. It's an authority which is bestowed, an authority which is granted, an authority which is recognised. What did Jesus' authority look like? Because the kingdom looks like the king. Jesus' authority, it looked different to how we often think of it now. Jesus' authority looked like being someone who washed the feet of his followers. Jesus' authority looked like Stepping into places of evil and darkness and that darkness screaming out in fear because the light of the world was in its midst. Looked like humility and integrity. Jesus said he had authority to forgive sins. That's a different kind of authority. Authority to heal the sick. When Jesus spoke, they said, he speaks like one with authority. Sounds different. Has a different impact. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, make disciples 
of all nations. The king commissions you to make disciples. It makes a difference to know you've been commissioned by the king. When I was working as a barrister, I would represent all sorts of different people and companies, but sometimes I would represent nations. And we used to do a lot of extradition work, and it's when a person is requested to stand trial in another country. And so that would happen at Bow Street Magistrates Court. But those days, it was just a normal magistrates court. So you would have like a, a shoplifting and then a punch-up in a pub, and then you'd have an extradition case. And so the court would be full of just normal people, and you'd have to stand up and say, I represent the United States of America. And they'd be like, what's going on? Why are they here? What have they done? And you'd feel the weight and the authority of the nation you were representing. Actually, the most common, often the most common I had to represent, I'd have to stand up if you were prosecuting a case in court and you would say, I appear on behalf of the crown. I appear on behalf of the crown. I've said that thousands of times. It's never really struck me before this week just what a significant thing that is. I was saying, I stand in the place of the crown of this nation. I'm, I'm, I'm deploying the authority and stand in the responsibility of the crown of this nation. That's an awesome thing. I don't think I realized it at the time. Said it like it just rolled off the tongue. I represent the crown. You are commissioned, you are sent on behalf of the king. You are a representative of his kingdom, called to bring about, to grow, to be part of his eternal kingdom. You represent the crown. You carry the authority and responsibility of the crown. You have authority. That means your words have power. That means your voice has resonance. That means your message will cut through. You represent the crown. That makes a difference this week when you're facing an uncertainty in your life, maybe a difficult leadership situation at work, maybe a challenging conversation with a colleague, or you're in a difficult challenge with a friendship or a relationship. It makes a difference. You're not just there on your own authority. You're not just there because you fancy doing that. You have been commissioned. You have been anointed and appointed. You stand in the authority of the one who has sent you. You represent the crown. Try that on Monday. You know, when you're on the Zoom call and everyone's going around introducing themselves or around the table for the new working group. Everyone introduce themselves, say what you do. I'm Jan, I work in marketing. Hi, Jan. I'm Sam, I work in ops. Hi, Sam. I'm Stephen. I represent the crown. <laughs> what? Not just any crown. I represent the crown of the eternal kingdom. I stand in the place of the one who has conquered hell and death. Okay. Anyone else want to contribute at this point? Makes a difference. You can say that to your heart when you're in a difficult situation, when you feel out of your depth, when you're about to go into a difficult operation or you can't work out what the right thing is to do when someone's calling you. I represent the crown. That makes a difference. 
You, know, you don't just make coffee. You're someone who's been placed there to represent the crown. How would you like your flat white? Because I've been sent here by the king of kings. And this coffee is going to caffeinate your socks off. <laughs> Oat milk? You don't just work in finance or law. or You're not just an entrepreneur. You have been positioned to establish a redemptive entrepreneurship that might shift the kingdom of God. Might be a sign of the kingdom of God. You don't just lead a marketing team or teach a school. You have been positioned to impart something of the kingdom of God to the people who God has placed around you. You represent the crown and that changes things. Yeah, we want to make disciples. We want to equip people to follow Jesus in every area of their lives. And so that means we will carry the authority of the crown. But it also means we'll carry the responsibility of the crown. Because Jesus says, make disciples. That's an intentional act. It doesn't happen by accident. Someone has to help you with that. You can't just do it yourself. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So it means sometimes... You're not going to be able to do things you want to do because you represent the crown. Sometimes you're going to have to do things you don't want to do because you represent the crown. Both are true. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus' kingdom is not the four walls of this church. I know sometimes it feels like that. Like there's a kingdom out there. It's a bit crazy. A bit crazy sometimes. No one really understands. When I come in here, Jesus is Lord. Go out there. Oh, it's a bit different. No, 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 no. All authority in heaven and on earth. Every inch of this city. Every millimeter of your workspace. Every bit of your office. Every ward of your hospital, every classroom of your school, every hall of your university comes under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Some people can't see it yet. Some people don't know it yet. But that's what's going to happen. What I love about this church is we have people from many, many nations here, many different ethnicities, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different walks of life, gathered in one place, from the nations to reach the nations. Just think of what could happen as we make disciples of each other, as we equip each other. And we have an opportunity as a church to represent the crown to this city. To say, you know, we want to, wel- we want to be the most welcoming place in the city. We should put out a red carpet onto the high street. We should have those guys in like the red coats and the little hats and trumpets. Come in, you're guests of the king. We have an opportunity to represent the crown. At times like this, when the world is crazy, maybe there's change or flux in your life, it's very easy to take a step back and say, I'm just not going to get involved. I'll just see how things go. I'll just wait it out. Can I just encourage you? Don't step back. Lean in. This is a time for the church to be the church. This is a time to lean in in every area of your life. Time to lean in here. I still remember Beth and I were going through a very busy period in our life. We moved different areas. We started going to a church. I was working 80-hour weeks. I thought, the last thing I need is any hassle at church. I thought, I'll just keep a low profile for a few months or years or decades. And um, the pastor came up to me. He said, nice to meet you first week. He said, how's it going? Yeah, all right, all right. He said, what's your passion? He said, oh, I, I quite like playing football. 
He said, um, we're just about to start a football outreach project. I said, really? I said, what are the odds? He said, yeah, yeah, come to a planning meeting on Tuesday. I'll introduce you to the team. I said, that's, that's an amazing coincidence. Okay, I'll come. So Tuesday, you know, after a long day at work, got there. I turned up. Do you know who the team was? Him and me. <laughs> so where's everyone else? He said, yeah, we've got to build a team now. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? He said, how about you stand up on Sunday and we can recruit the team? I think you can do it. I was like, it's my second week in church. Are you mad? But I did it. I thought, why not? You know, did it. Amazing people got involved. We started the youth outreach football program which reached out to kids on the estate. It's amazing. I had a lot of other things to be doing. It was busy, but I don't regret it for a moment. A little while later, he said to me, anything else you're passionate about, Steve? I said, you know, I really love worship. And I think he sized him up and he thought, I'm probably not like a musician musician. So he said, uh, he said well, you know, um, we're quite, band's quite full at the moment, but could you help in a really important way? I was like, yeah, I'll definitely help. He said, it's probably the most important job on our worship and production team. I was like, don't worry, I'm up for it. He said, um, so you know that the lyrics come up on the screens? I was like, yeah. He said, so we need someone to help them come up at the right time. And I was like, a person does that? I thought you had like a computer program. He's like, no, no, you just have to press this button again and again and again and again. I was like, down cursor again and again. I was working 80-hour weeks. People pay me a lot of money for my time. Dude, like, can I get repetitive strain injury doing this? The first week I was sitting there going, I don't believe this. And the thing is, the bands, you might have noticed, they're wonderful. But they don't just do one thing. They don't just go through the verses and then the chorus and then end. They're like, back to the first verse. I'm like, how do I do that? But press one. Okay, I'm trying to press one. They're in the chorus. Now. Press C. Press C. Like, I'm like this. I'm like, what? Life is too stressful. It's too short. So I'll go, but I'll do one more week. I don't want to quit after the first week. No one should do that. Do two weeks. Then something really weird happened in the second week. I started to enjoy it. As I pushed this button, it was like I was worshipping. This is extraordinary. My heart started to grow. I started to fall in love with the church all over again. Changed my appreciation of lyrics. I was like, I'm going to be the best button pusher the church has ever seen. I was like, I'm going to time it so it's just at the right time. You know, not too early, so you lose the last words, of the last word, the last one. Not too late, so you're, you're going to guess the next verse right at the right moment. I'm going to nail that. I'm going to nail it every single time. I still appreciate that now. It's much, much harder to see than you think. Big shout to Jack Claire at the back. Let's just give a Jack a little cheer. You know, you're not just helping on all day's kids. We are shaping a generation who will shape the nations. Not just helping out Sarah on all day's youth as we reboot it. No, we are investing in a generation of young people to make sure their identity is so firmly established in Jesus Christ that they will shine like lights from wherever they are and positively influence the culture of their schools and colleges and this city. We're not just inviting people on Alpha because why not? Because when we do that, when I send someone a text or a WhatsApp message and say, why not come along on the 4th of October? Give it a go, you might enjoy it. I get the opportunity to play a part in the miracle, nothing less than that, the miracle that is God's redemptive purpose in our universe. That someone might pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Someone might encounter the person who made them for a purpose and understood for the first time in their lives why God thought them up. We get to be part of it. You represent the crown. You've been commissioned by the king. And when you invest in the eternal kingdom, most people spend their lives thinking, am I making a difference? 
Is anything going to endure when I'm gone? When you invest in the eternal kingdom, everything counts. Everything multiplies. Everything makes a difference. And you never know the chain reaction you might start. And then the third thing we see in this passage is that when you know the king of the unshakable kingdom, you can actually get close to the king. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you even to the end of the age. See, the thing is most kings and queens have to separate themselves from their people. They have to keep a respectful distance because if they don't, the mystery of the monarchy disappears. So they seem great, but they're quite far off. People queuing for days at the moment just to get a glimpse. Just to get a glimpse. That's an amazing thing. Maybe it has to be that way. You can't expect them with their huge influence to be close to you, near you, with you. Beth actually used to work for uh, government ministers and she worked for two Secretary of States for Health. And she would accompany them on trips, important meetings. And one occasion she went to Clarence House to have a cup of tea with the then Prince Charles. And you know, they talked about various things, which I can't tell you about because I'd be shot. And, uh, but it suddenly occurred to me this week, I was like, Beth has had tea with the king. I was like, I make her a cup of tea every morning. I'm, I'm honoured, you know, I just, you know, it's just me. I need to up my game. One of the things that many world leaders have said in the last week is how much they appreciated meeting one-on-one with the queen. Theresa May said it was the one meeting in her week where she knew nothing would be leaked. She could just think out loud. Because the queen had seen everything. She had the wisdom of 70 years of leadership. She'd met more world leaders than anyone else on the face of the globe. And prime ministers had this weekly appointment to come in and they could talk about anything. Now they'd get a sympathetic audience from someone who understood, someone who had extraordinary perspective, insight, and wisdom. Jesus says, surely I'm with you always. The promise is that whether you've known Jesus all your life or you're just beginning to work out who he is, you have that access. You have that same opportunity. Don't have to be prime minister I have to wait till the right day of the week. The clock's not stopped at 15 minutes and a butler doesn't come in and pull you out. You can approach King Jesus at any point, anywhere, and say, help. I don't know what to do. 3 a.m. You can say, help. This is tricky. And the person you're speaking to has the perspective of someone who was there before the dawn of time and will be there after the close of time. He has an eternal perspective. He's the greatest wisdom on the face of the earth. He's compassionate. He knows why you were made. And he's sovereign. He can actually help. I dare you, why don't you put in your work calendar or in your diary this week, appointment with the king. See if someone comments on it, you know. What, what are you doing? What's going on? He's like, I can't talk about it. Sorry, it's, um, it's private. But yeah, that's something I do at least 
once a week. You know, I need him. He, he likes to hear from me. And, you know, that's available to you. He will advise, he will strengthen, he will guide you. Because he's the king of the unshakable kingdom. This is the time for the church to be the church. This is the time for us to rise up and see what God might call us to do in this city, in this space, in the places he has placed you at this time. Yes, it's complex. Yes, there are a lot of difficult things that we have to work out. Yes, there is lots of change and turmoil out there. Yes, there are battles to be fought. And challenges to be overcome. Often people look at the church and they say, well, is it going to work out? Yes, it will work out. In 1740, the church looked bleak. There were six people who went to St. Paul's Cathedral on Easter Day. That was all. 280 crimes on the statute book for which you could be executed, including stealing a loaf of bread. Children as young as five were working in the mines. Culture was falling apart. Church leaders were losing their faith and had lost their confidence in Jesus Christ. Most people were saying this is the generation that the church will decline and disappear from these lands. And a relatively small group of people, a few of whom lived 20 metres that way and a few of whom lived 20 metres that way, gathered and prayed and said, not on our watch. And God moved so powerfully over the following five to ten years that it shook the very foundations of this nation and the continents of the world. And millions came to a faith in Jesus Christ. Just think what might happen as we claim again the truth that Jesus is King. Think that might happen as we realise wherever he's placed us that we represent the crown. Think what might happen when we actually realise that we have available to us the wisdom and the insight and the intercession of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, everything's shaking, but those are just the sort of times that God establishes and grows his unshakable kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.